Part three of A Voyage to Lisbon by Henry Fielding. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Friday, July fifth. This day I sent a servant on board a man of war that was stationed here with my compliments to the captain to represent to him the distress of the ladies and to desire the favour of his longboat to conduct us to Dover at about seven miles distance and at the same time presumed to make use of a great lady's name the wife of the first lord commissioner of the admiralty who would i told him be pleased with any kindness shown by him towards us in our miserable condition and this i am convinced was true from the humanity of the lady though she was entirely unknown to me the captain returned a verbal answer to a long letter acquainting me that what i desired could not be complied with it being a favour not in his power to grant this might be and i suppose was true but it is as true that if he was able to write and had pen ink and paper on board he might have sent a written answer and that it was the part of a gentleman so to have done but this is a character seldom maintained on the watery element especially by those who exercise any power on it every commander of a vessel here seems to think himself entirely free from all those rules of decency and civility which direct and restrain the conduct of members of a society on shore and each claiming absolute dominion in his little wooden world rules by his own laws and his own discretion i do not indeed know so pregnant an instance of the dangerous consequences of absolute power and its aptness to intoxicate the mind as that of those petty tyrants who become such in a moment from very well disposed and social members of that communion in which they affect no superiority but live in an orderly state of legal subjection with their fellow-citizens. Saturday, July 6th. This morning our commander, declaring he was sure the wind would change, took the advantage of an ebbing tide and weighed his anchor. His assurance, however, had the same completion, and his endeavours the same success with his former trial and he was soon obliged to return once more to his old quarters. Just before we let go our anchor, a small sloop, rather than submit to yield us an inch of way, ran foul of our ship and carried off her bow spirit. This obstinate frolic would have cost those aboard the sloop very dear if our steersman had not been so generous to exert his superiority the certain consequence of which would have been the immediate sinking of the other this contention of the inferior with a might capable of crushing it in an instant may seem to argue no small share of folly or madness as well as of impudence but i am convinced there is very little danger in it contempt is a port to which the pride of man submits to fly with reluctance but those who are within it are always in a place of the most assured security for whosoever throws away his sword prefers indeed a less honourable but much safer means of avoiding danger than he who defends himself with it and here we shall offer another distinction of the truth of which much reading and experience have well convinced us that as in the most absolute governments there is a regular progression of slavery downwards from the top to the bottom the mischief of which is seldom felt with any great force and bitterness but by the next immediate degree so in the most dissolute and anarchical states there is as regular an ascent of what is called rank or condition which is always laying hold of the head of him who is advanced but one step higher on the ladder who might if he did not too much despise such efforts kick his pursuer headlong to the bottom we will conclude this digression with one general and short observation which will perhaps set the whole matter in a clearer light than the longest and most laboured harangue 
whereas envy of all things most exposes us to danger from others so contempt of all things best secures us from them and thus while the dung-cart and the sloop are always meditating mischief against the coach and the ship and throwing themselves designedly in their way the latter consider only their own security and are not ashamed to break the road and let the other pass by them monday july eighth having passed our sunday without anything remarkable unless the catching of a great number of whitings in the afternoon may be thought so we now set sail on monday at six o'clock with a little variation of wind but this was so very little and the breeze itself so small but the tide was our best and indeed almost our only friend this conducted us along the short remainder of the kentish shore here we passed that cliff of dover which makes so tremendous a figure in shakespeare and which whoever reads without being giddy must according to mr addison's observation have either a very good head or a very bad one but which whoever contracts any such ideas from the sight of must have at least a poetic if not a shakespearean genius in truth mountains rivers heroes and gods owe great part of their existence to the poets and greece and italy do so plentifully abound in the former because they furnish so glorious a number of the latter who while they bestowed immortality on every little hillock and blind stream left the noblest rivers and mountains in the world to share the same obscurity with the eastern and western poets in which they are celebrated this evening we beat the sea of sussex in sight of dungeness with much more pleasure than progress for the weather was almost a perfect calm and the moon which was almost at the full scarce suffered a single cloud to veil her from our sight tuesday wednesday july ninth tenth these two days we have much the same fine weather and made much the same way but in the evening of the latter day a pretty fresh gale sprung up out of north-northwest which brought us by the morning in sight of the isle of wight thursday july eleventh this gale continued till towards noon when the east end of the island bore but little ahead of us the captain swaggered and declared he would keep the sea but the wind got the better of him so that about three he gave up the victory and making a sudden tack stood in for the shore passed by spithead and portsmouth and came to an anchor at a place called ride on the island a most tragical incident fell out this day at sea while the ship was under sail but making as will appear no great way a kitten one of four of the feline inhabitants of the cabin fell from the window into the water an alarm was immediately given to the captain who was then upon deck and received it with the utmost concern and many bitter oaths he immediately gave orders to the steersman to favour of the poor thing as he called it the sails were instantly slackened and all hands as the phrase is employed to recover the poor animal i was i own extremely surprised at all this less indeed at the captain's extreme tenderness than at his conceiving any possibility of success for if the puss had nine thousand instead of nine lives i concluded they had been all lost the boatswain however had more sanguine hopes for having stripped himself of his jacket breeches and shirt he leaped boldly into the water and to my great astonishment in a few minutes returned to the ship bearing the motionless animal in his mouth nor was this i observed a matter of such great difficulty as it appeared to my ignorance and possibly may seem to that of my fresh-water reader the kitten was now exposed to air and sun on the deck where its life of which it retained no symptoms was despaired of by all the captain's humanity if i may so call it 
did not so totally destroy his philosophy as to make him yield himself up to affliction on this melancholy occasion having felt his loss like a man he resolved to show he could bear it like one and having declared he had rather have lost a cask of rum or brandy betook himself to threshing at backgammon with the portuguese friar in which innocent amusement they had passed about two-thirds of their time but as i have perhaps a little too wantonly endeavoured to raise the tender passions of my readers in this narrative i should think myself unpardonable if i concluded it without giving them the satisfaction of hearing that the kitten at last recovered to the great joy of the good captain but to the great disappointment of some of the sailors who asserted that the drowning of a cat was the very surest way of raising a favourable wind a supposition of which though we had heard several plausible accounts we will not presume to assign the true original reason friday july twelfth this day our ladies went ashore at ride and drank their afternoon tea at an alehouse there with great satisfaction here they were regaled with fresh cream to which they had been strangers since they left the downs saturday july thirteenth the wind seeming likely to continue in the same corner where it had been almost constantly for two months together i was persuaded by my wife to go ashore and stay at ride till we sailed i approved the motion much for though i am a great lover of the sea i now fancied there was more pleasure in breathing the fresh air of the land but how to get thither was the question for being really that dead luggage which i considered all passengers to be in the beginning of this narrative and incapable of any bodily motion without external impulse it was in vain to leave the ship or to determine to do it without the assistance of others in one instance perhaps the living luggage is more difficult to be moved or removed than an equal or much superior weight of dead matter which if of the brittle kind may indeed be liable to be broken through negligence but this by proper care may be almost certainly prevented whereas the fractures to which the living lumps are exposed are sometimes by no caution avoidable and often by no art to be amended i was deliberating on the means of conveyance not so much out of the ship to the boat as out of the little tottering boat to the land a matter which as i had already experienced in the thames was not extremely easy when to be performed by any other limbs than your own whilst i weighed all that could suggest itself on this head without strictly examining the merit of the several schemes which were advanced by the captain and sailors and indeed giving no very deep attention even to my wife who as well as her friend and my daughter were exerting their tender concern for my ease and safety fortune for i am convinced she had a hand in it sent me a present of a buck a present welcome enough of itself but more welcome on account of the vessel in which it came being a large hoy which in some places would pass for a ship and many people would go some miles to see the sight i was pretty easily conveyed on board this hoy but to get from hence to the shore was not so easy a task for however strange it may appear the water itself did not extend so far an instance which seems to explain those lines of ovid omnia pontus errant derant quoque littora ponto in a less tautological sense than hath generally been imputed to them in fact between the sea and the shore there was at low water an impassable gulf if i may so call it of deep mud which could neither be traversed by walking nor swimming so that for near one half of the twenty-four hours ride was inaccessible by friend or foe but as the magistrates of this place seemed more to desire the company of the former than to fear that of the latter they had begun to make a small causeway to the low-water mock 
so that foot passengers might land wherever they pleased but as this work was of a public kind and would have cost a large sum of money at least ten pounds and the magistrates that is to say the church wardens the overseers the constable and tithing man and the principal inhabitants had every one of them some separate scheme of private interest to advance at the expense of the public they fell out among themselves and after having thrown away one half of the requisite sum resolved at least to save the other half and rather be contented to sit down losers themselves than to enjoy any benefit which might bring in a greater profit to another thus that unanimity which is so necessary in all public affairs became wanting and every man from the fear of being a bubble to another was in reality a bubble to himself however as there is scarce any difficulty to which the strength of men assisted with the cunning of art is not equal i was at last hoisted into a small boat and being rowed pretty near the shore was taken up by two sailors who waded with me through the mud and placed me in a chair on the land whence they afterwards conveyed me a quarter of a mile farther and brought me to a house which seemed to bid the fairest for hospitality of any in ride we brought with us our provisions from the ship so that we wanted nothing but a fire to dress our dinner and a room in which we might eat it in neither of these had we any reason to apprehend a disappointment our dinner consisting only of beans and bacon and the worst apartment in his majesty's dominions either at home or abroad being fully sufficient to answer our present ideas of delicacy unluckily however we were disappointed in both for when we arrived about four at our inn exulting in the hopes of immediately seeing our beans smoking on the table we had the mortification of seeing them on the table indeed but without that circumstance which would have made the sight agreeable being in the same state in which we had dispatched them from our ship in excuse for this delay though we had exceeded almost purposely the time appointed and our provision had arrived three hours before the mistress of the house acquainted us that it was not for want of time to dress them that they were not ready but for fear of their being cold or overdone before we should come which she assured us was much worse than waiting a few minutes for our dinner an observation so very just that it is impossible to find any objection in it but indeed it was not altogether so proper at this time for we had given the most absolute orders to have them ready at four and had been ourselves not without much care and difficulty most exactly punctual in keeping to the very minute of our appointment but tradesmen innkeepers and servants never care to indulge us in matters contrary to our true interest which they always know better than ourselves nor can any bribes corrupt them to go out of their way while they are consulting our good in our own despite our disappointment in the other particular in defiance of our humility as it was more extraordinary was more provoking in short mrs francis for that was the name of the good woman of the house no sooner received the news of our intended arrival than she considered more the gentility than the humanity of her guests and applied herself not to that which kindles but to that which extinguishes fire and forgetting to put on her pot fell to washing her house as the messenger who had brought my venison was impatient to be dispatched i ordered it to be brought and laid on the table in the room where i was seated and the table not being large enough one side and that a very bloody one was laid on the brick floor i then ordered mrs francis to be called in in order to give her instructions concerning it in particular what i would have roasted and what baked concluding that she would be highly pleased 
with the prospect of so much money being spent in her house as she might have now reason to expect if the wind continued only a few days longer to blow from the same points whence it had blown for several weeks past i soon saw good cause i must confess to despise my own sagacity mrs francis having received her orders without making any answer snatched the side from the floor which remained stained with blood and bidding a servant to take up that on the table left the room with no pleasant countenance muttering to herself that had she known the litter which was to have been made she would not have taken such pains to wash her house that morning if this was gentility much good may it do such gentlefolks for her part she had no notion of it from these murmurs i received two hints the one that it was not from a mistake of our inclination that the good woman had starved us but from wisely consulting her own dignity or rather perhaps her vanity to which our hunger was offered up as a sacrifice the other that i was now sitting in a damp room a circumstance though it had hitherto escaped my notice from the colour of the bricks which was by no means to be neglected in a valetudinary state my wife who besides discharging excellently well her own and all the tender offices becoming the female character who besides being a faithful friend an amiable companion and a tender nurse could likewise supply the wants of a decrepit husband and occasionally perform his part had before this discovered the immoderate attention to neatness in mrs francis and provided against its ill consequences she had found though not under the same roof a very snug apartment belonging to mr francis and which had escaped the mop by his wife's being satisfied it could not possibly be visited by gentlefolks this was a dry warm oaken-floored barn lined on both sides with wheaten straw and opening at one end into a green field and a beautiful prospect here without hesitation she ordered the cloth to be laid and came hastily to snatch me from worse peril by water than the common dangers of the sea mrs francis who could not trust her own ears and could not believe a footman in so extraordinary a phenomenon followed my wife and asked her if she had indeed ordered the cloth to be laid in the barn she answered in the affirmative upon which mrs francis declared she would not dispute her pleasure but it was the first time she believed that quality had ever preferred a barn to a house she showed at the same time the most pregnant marks of contempt and again lamented the labour she had undergone through her ignorance of the absurd taste of her guests at length we were seated in one of the most pleasant spots i believe in the kingdom and were regaled with our beans and bacon in which there was nothing deficient but the quantity this defect was however so deplorable that we had consumed our whole dish before we had visibly lessened our hunger we now waited with impatience the arrival of our second course which necessity and not a luxury had dictated this was a joint of mutton which mrs francis had been ordered to provide but when being tired with expectation we ordered our servants to see for something else we were informed that there was nothing else on which mrs francis being summoned declared there was no such thing as mutton to be had at ride when i expressed some astonishment at their having no butcher in a village so situated she answered they had a very good one and one that killed all sorts of meat in season beef two or three times a year and mutton the whole year round but that it being then beans and peas time he killed no meat by reason he was not sure of selling it this she had not thought worthy of communication any more than that there lived a fisherman at next door who was then provided with plenty of soles and whitings and lobsters 
far superior to those which adorn a city feast this discovery being made by accident we completed the best the pleasantest and the merriest meal with more appetite more real solid luxury and more festivity than was ever seen in an entertainment at white's it may be wondered at perhaps that mrs francis should be so negligent of providing for her guests as she may seem to be thus inattentive to her own interest but this was not the case for having clapped a poll-tax on our heads at our arrival and determined at what price to discharge our bodies from her house the less she suffered any other to share in the levy the clearer it came into her own pocket and that it was better to get twelve pence in a shilling than ten pence which latter would be the case if she afforded us fish at any rate thus we passed a most agreeable day owing to good appetites and good humour two hearty feeders which will devour with satisfaction whatever food you place before them whereas without these the elegance of st james's the shard the perigord pie or the ortolan the venison the turtle or the custard may titillate the throat but will never convey happiness to the heart or cheerfulness to the countenance as the wind appeared still immovable my wife proposed my lying on shore i presently agreed though in defiance of an act of parliament by which persons wandering abroad and lodging in alehouses are decreed to be rogues and vagabonds and this too after having been very singularly officious in putting that law in execution my wife having reconnoitred the house reported that there was one room in which there were two beds it was concluded therefore that she and harriet should occupy one and myself take possession of the other she added likewise an ingenious recommendation of this room to one who had so long been in a cabin which it exactly resembled as it was sunk down with age on one side and was in the form of a ship with gunwales too for my own part i make little doubt but this apartment was an ancient temple built with the materials of a wreck and probably dedicated to neptune in honour of the blessing sent by him to the inhabitants such blessings having in all ages been very common to them the timber employed in it confirms this opinion being such as is seldom used by ally but ship builders i do not find indeed any mention of this matter in herne but perhaps its antiquity was too modern to deserve his notice certain it is that this island of white was not an early convert to christianity nay there is some reason to doubt whether it was ever entirely converted but i have only time to touch slightly on things of this kind which luckily for us we have a society whose peculiar profession it is to discuss and develop sunday july nineteenth this morning early i summoned mrs francis in order to pay her the preceding day's account as i could recollect only two or three articles i thought there was no necessity of pen and ink in a single instance only we had exceeded what the law allows gratis to a foot-soldier on his march that is vinegar salt etc and dressing his meat i found however i was mistaken in my calculation for when the good woman attended with her bill it contained as follows bread and beer two shillings fourpence wine two shillings rum two shillings dressing dinner three shillings tea one shilling sixpence firing one shilling lodging one shilling sixpence servants lodging six pence total thirteen shillings ten pence now that five people and two servants should live a day and night at a public house for so small a sum will appear incredible to any person in london above the degree of a chimney-sweeper 
but more astonishing will it seem that these people should remain so long at such a house without tasting any other delicacy than bread small beer a teacup full of milk called cream a glass of rum converted into punch by their own materials and one bottle of wine of which we only tasted a single glass though possibly indeed our servants drank the remainder of the bottle this wine is a liquor of english manufacture and its flavour is thought very delicious by the generality of the english who drink it in great quantities every seventh day it is thought to produce as much as the other six it is then drank so plentifully that the whole nation are in a manner intoxicated by it and consequently very little business is carried on at that season it resembles in colour the red wine which is imported from portugal as it doth in its intoxicating quality hence and from this agreement in the orthography the one is often confounded with the other though both are seldom esteemed by the same person it is to be had in every parish of the kingdom and a pretty large quantity is consumed in the metropolis where several taverns are set apart solely for the vendition of this liquor the masters never dealing in any other the disagreement in our computation produced some small remonstrance to mrs francis on my side but this received an immediate answer she scorned to overcharge gentlemen her house had been always frequented by the very best gentry of the island and she had never had a bill found fault with in her life though she had lived upward of forty years in the house and within that time the greatest gentry in hampshire had been at it and that lawyer willis never went to any other when he came to those parts that for her part she did not get her livelihood by travellers who were gone and away and she never expected to see them more but that her neighbours might come again wherefore to be sure they had the only right to complain she was proceeding thus and from her volubility of tongue seemed likely to stretch the discourse to an immoderate length when i suddenly cut all short by paying the bill this morning our ladies went to church more i fear from curiosity than religion they were attended by the captain in a most military attire with his cockade in his hat and his sword by his side so unusual an appearance in this little chapel drew the attention of all present and probably disconcerted the women who were in dishabille and wished themselves dressed for the sake of the curate who was the greatest of their beholders while i was left alone i received a visit from mr francis himself who was much more considerable as a farmer than as an inholder indeed he left the latter entirely to the care of his wife and he acted wisely i believe in so doing as nothing more remarkable passed on this day i will close it with the account of these two characters as far as a few days residence could inform me of them if they should appear as new to the reader as they did to me he will not be displeased at finding them here this amiable couple seemed to border hard on their grand climacteric nor indeed were they shy of owning enough to fix their ages within a year or two of that time they appeared to be rather proud of having employed their time well than ashamed of having lived so long the only reason which i could ever assign why some fine ladies and fine gentlemen too should desire to be thought younger than they really are by the contemporaries of their grandchildren some indeed who too hastily credit appearances might doubt whether they had made so good a use of their time as i would insinuate since there was no appearance of anything but poverty want and wretchedness about their house nor could they produce anything to a customer in exchange for his money but a few bottles of wind and spirituous liquors and some very bad ale to drink with rusty bacon and worse cheese to eat 
but then it should be considered on the other side that whatever they received was almost as entirely clear profit as the blessing of a wreck itself such an inn being the very reverse of a coffee-house for here you can neither sit for nothing nor have anything for your money again as many marks of want abounded everywhere so were the marks of antiquity visible scarce anything was to be seen which had not some scar upon it made by the hand of time not a utensil it was manifest had been purchased within a dozen years last past so that whatever money had come into the house during that period at least must have remained in it unless it had been sent abroad for food or other perishable commodities but these were supplied by a small portion of the fruits of the farm in which the farmer allowed he had a very good bargain in fact it is inconceivable what sums may be collected by starving only and how easy it is for a man to die rich if he will be but contented to live miserable nor is there in this kind of starving anything so terrible as some apprehend it neither wastes a man's flesh nor robs him of his cheerfulness the famous coronaro's case well proves the contrary and so did farmer francis who was of a round stature had a plump round face with a kind of smile on it and seemed to borrow an air of wretchedness rather than from his coat's age than from his own the truth is there is a certain diet which emaciates men more than any possible degree of abstinence though i do not remember to have seen any caution against it either in cheney arbuthnot or in any other modern writer or regimen nay the very name is not i believe in the learned dr james's dictionary all which is the more extraordinary as it is a very common food in this kingdom and the college themselves were not long since very liberally entertained with it by the present attorney and other eminent lawyers in lincoln's inn hall and were all made horribly sick by it but though it should not be found among our english physical writers we may be assured of meeting with it among the greeks for nothing considerable in nature escapes their notice though many things considerable in them it is to be feared have escaped the notice of their readers the greeks then to all such as feed too voraciously on this diet give the name of hiatufagi which our physicians will i suppose translate men that eat themselves as nothing is so destructive to the body as this kind of food so nothing is so plentiful and cheap but it was perhaps the only cheap thing the farmer disliked probably living much on fish might produce this disgust for diodorus siculus attributes the same aversion in a people of ethiopia to the same cause he calls them the fish-eaters and asserts that they cannot be brought to eat a single meal with the hiatufagi by any persuasion threat or violence whatever not even though they should kill their children before their faces what hath puzzled our physicians and prevented them from setting this matter in the clearest light is possibly one single mistake arising from a very excusable ignorance that the passions of men are capable of swallowing food as well as their appetites that the former in feeding resemble the state of those animals who chew the cud and therefore such men in some sense may be said to prey on themselves and as it were to devour their own entrails and hence ensues a meagre aspect and thin habit of body as surely as from what is called a consumption our farmer was one of these he had no more passion than an ichthuophagus or ethiopian fisher he wished not for anything thought not of anything indeed he scarce did anything or said anything 
here i cannot be understood strictly for then i must describe a non-entity whereas i would rob him of nothing but that free agency which is the cause of all the corruption and of all the misery of human nature no man indeed ever did more than the farmer for he was an absolute slave to labour all the week but in truth as my sagacious reader must have at first apprehended when i said he resigned the care of the house to his wife i meant more than i then expressed even the house and all that belonged to it for he was really a farmer only under the direction of his wife in a word so composed so serene so placid a countenance i never saw and he satisfied himself by answering to every question he was asked i don't know anything about it sir i leaves all that to my wife now as a couple of this kind would like two vessels of oil have made no composition in life and for want of all savour must have palled every taste nature or fortune or both of them took care to provide a proper quantity of acid in the materials that formed the wife and to render her a perfect helpmate for so tranquil a husband she abounded in whatsoever he was defective that is to say in almost everything she was indeed as vinegar to oil or a brisk wind to a standing pool and preserved all from stagnation and corruption quin the player on taking a nice and severe survey of a fellow comedian burst forth into this exclamation if that fellow be not a rogue god almighty doth not write a legible hand whether he guessed right or not is not worth my while to examine certain it is that the latter having wrought his features into a proper harmony to become the characters of iago shylock and others of the same cast gave us a semblance of truth to the observation that was sufficient to confirm the wit of it indeed we may remark in favour of the physiognomist though the law has made him a rogue and a vagabond that nature is seldom curious in her works within without employing some little pains on the outside and this more particularly in mischievous characters informing which as mr derham observes in venomous insects as the sting or saw of a wasp she is sometimes wonderfully industrious now when she hath thus completely armed our hero to carry on a war with man she never fails of furnishing that innocent lambkin with some means of knowing his enemy and foreseeing his designs thus she hath been observed to act in the case of a rattlesnake which never mediates a human prey without giving warning of his approach this observation will i am convinced hold most true if applied to the most venomous individuals of human insects a tyrant a trickster and a bully generally wear the marks of their several dispositions in their countenances so do the vixen the shrew the scold and other females of the like kind but perhaps nature hath never afforded a stronger example of all this than in the case of mrs francis she was a short squat woman her head was closely joined to her shoulders where it was fixed somewhat awry every feature of her countenance was sharp and pointed her face was furrowed with the smallpox and her complexion which seemed to be able to turn milk to curds not a little resembled in colour such milk as had already undergone that operation she appeared indeed to have many symptoms of a deep jaundice in her look but the strength and firmness of her voice overbalanced them all the tone of this was a sharp treble at a distance for i seldom heard it on the same floor but was usually waked with it in the morning and entertained with it almost continually through the whole day though vocal be usually put in opposition to instrumental music i question whether this might not be thought 
to partake of the nature of both for she played on two instruments which she seemed to keep for no other use from morning till night these were two maids or rather scolding stocks who i suppose by some means or other earned their board and she gave them their lodging gratis or for no other service than to keep her lungs in constant exercise she differed as i have said in every particular from her husband but very remarkably in this that as it was impossible to displease him so it was as impossible to please her and as no art could remove a smile from his countenance so could no art carry it into hers if her bills were remonstrated against she was offended with the tacit censure of her fair dealing if they were not she seemed to regard it as a tacit sarcasm on her folly which might have set down larger prices with the same success on this lather hint she did indeed improve for she daily raised some of her articles a pennyworth of fire was to-day rated at a shilling to-morrow at eighteen pence and if she dressed us two dishes for two shillings on the saturday we paid half a crown for the cookery of one on the sunday and whenever she was paid she never left the room without lamenting the small amount of her bill saying she knew not how it was that others got their money by gentlefolks but for her part she had not the art of it when she was asked why she complained when she was paid all she demanded she answered she could not deny that nor did she know she had omitted anything but that it was but a poor bill for gentlefolks to pay i accounted for all this by her having heard that it is a maxim with the principal inholders on the continent to levy considerable sums on their guests who travel with many horses and servants though such guests should eat little or nothing in their houses the method being i believe in such cases to lay a capitation on the horses and not on their masters but she did not consider that in most of these inns a very great degree of hunger without any degree of delicacy may be satisfied and that in all such inns there is some appearance at least of provision as well as of a man-cook to dress it one of the holsters being always furnished with a cook's cap waistcoat and apron ready to attend gentlemen and ladies on their summons that the case therefore of such inns differed from hers where there was nothing to eat or to drink and in reality no house to inhabit no chair to sit upon nor any bed to lie in that one-third or fourth part therefore of the levy imposed at inns was in truth a higher tax than the whole was when laid on in the other where in order to raise a small sum a man is obliged to submit to pay as many various ways for the same thing as he doth to the government for the light which enters through his own window into his own house from his own estate such are the articles of bread and beer firing eating and dressing dinner the foregoing is a very imperfect sketch of this extraordinary couple for everything is here lowered instead of being heightened those who would see them set forth in more lively colours and with the proper ornaments may read the description of the furies in some of the classical poets or of the stoic philosophers in the works of lucian monday july twentieth this day nothing remarkable passed mrs francis levied a tax of fourteen shillings for the sunday we regaled ourselves at dinner with venison and good claret of our own and in the afternoon the women attended by the captain walked to see a delightful scene two miles distant with the beauties of which they declared themselves most highly charmed at their return as well as with the goodness of the lady of the mansion who had slipped out of the way that my wife and their company might refresh themselves with the flowers and fruits with which her garden abounded tuesday july twenty first 
this day having paid our taxes of yesterday we were permitted to regale ourselves with more venison some of this we would willingly have exchanged for mutton but no such flesh was to be had nearer than portsmouth from whence it would have cost more to convey a joint to us than the freight of a portugal ham from lisbon to london amounts to for though the water carriage be somewhat cheaper here than at deal yet can you find no waterman who will go on board his boat unless by two or three hours rowing he can get drunk for the residue of the week and here i have an opportunity which possibly may not offer again of publishing some observations on that political economy of this nation which as it concerns only the regulation of the mob is below the notice of our great men though on the due regulation of this order depend many emoluments which the great men themselves or at least many who tread close on their heels may enjoy as well as some dangers which may some time or other arise from introducing a pure state of anarchy among them i will represent the case as it appears to me very fairly and impartially between the mob and their betters the whole mischief which infects this part of our economy arises from the vague and uncertain use of a word called liberty of which as scarce any two men with whom i have ever conversed seem to have one and the same idea i am inclined to doubt whether there be any simple universal notion represented by this word or whether it conveys any clearer or more determinate idea than some of those old punic compositions of syllables preserved in one of the comedies of plautus but at present as i conceive not supposed to be understood by any one by liberty however i apprehend is commonly understood the power of doing what we please not absolutely for then it would be inconsistent with law by whose control the liberty of the freest people except only the hottentots and wild indians must always be restrained but indeed however largely we extend or however moderately we confine the sense of the word no politician will i presume contend that it is to pervade in an equal degree and be with the same extent enjoyed by every member of society no such polity having been ever found unless among those vile people just before commemorated among the greeks and romans the servile and free conditions were opposed to each other and no man who had the misfortune to be enrolled under the former could lay any claim to liberty till the right was conveyed to him by that master whose slave he was either by the means of conquest of purchase or of birth this was the state of all the free nations in the world and this till very lately was understood to be the case of our own i will not indeed say this is the case at present the lowest class of our people having shaken off the shackles of their superiors and become not only as free but even freer than most of their superiors i believe it cannot be doubted though perhaps we have no recent instance of it that the personal attendance of every man who hath three hundred pounds per annum in parliament is indispensably his duty and that if the citizens and burgesses of any city or borough shall choose such a one however reluctant he appear he may be obliged to attend and be forcibly brought to his duty by the sergeant-at-arms again there are numbers of subordinate offices some of which are of burden and others of expense in the civil government all of which persons who are qualified are liable to have imposed on them may be obliged to undertake and properly execute notwithstanding any bodily labor or even danger to which they may subject themselves under the penalty of fines and imprisonment nay and what may appear somewhat hard may be compelled to satisfy the losses which are eventually incident to that of sheriff in particular out of their own private fortunes 
and though this should prove the ruin of a family yet the public to whom the price is due incurs no debt or obligation to preserve its officer harmless let his innocence appear ever so clearly i purposely omit the mention of those military or military duties which our old constitution laid upon its greatest members these might indeed supply their posts with some other able-bodied men but if no such could have been found the obligation nevertheless remained and they were compellable to serve in their own proper persons the only one therefore who is possessed of absolute liberty is the lowest member of the society who if he prefers hunger or the wild product of the fields hedges lanes and rivers with the indulgence of ease and laziness to a food a little more delicate but purchased at the expense of labour may lay himself under a shade nor can be forced to take the other alternative from that which he hath i will not affirm whether wisely or foolishly chosen here i may perhaps be reminded of the last vagrant act where all such persons are compellable to work for the usual and accustomed wages allowed in the place but this is a clause little known to the justices of the peace and least likely to be executed by those who do know it as they know likewise that it is formed on the ancient power of the justices to fix and settle these wages every year making proper allowances for the scarcity and plenty of the times the cheapness and dearness of the place and the usual and accustomed wages are words without any force or meaning when there are no such but every man sponges and wraps whatever he can get and will haggle as long and struggle as hard to cheat his employer of twopence in a day's labour as an honest tradesman will to cheat his customers of the same sum in a yard of cloth or silk it is a great pity then that this power or rather this practice was not revived but this having been so long omitted that it is become obsolete will be best done by a new law in which this power as well as the consequent power of forcing the poor to labour at a moderate and reasonable rate should be well considered and their execution facilitated for gentlemen who give their time and labour gratis and even voluntarily to the public have a right to expect that all their business be made as easy as possible and to enact laws without doing this is to fill our statute books much too full already still fuller with dead letter of no use but to the printer of the acts of parliament that the evil which i have here pointed at is of itself worth redressing is i apprehend no subject of dispute for why should any persons in distress be deprived of the assistance of their fellow-subjects when they are willing amply to reward them for their labour or why should the lowest of the people be permitted to exact ten times the value of their work for those exactions increase with the degrees of necessity in their object in so much that on the former side may be horribly imposed upon and that often in no trifling matters i was very well assured that at deal no less than ten guineas was required and paid by the supercargo of an indiaman for carrying him on board two miles from the shore when she was just ready to sail so that his necessity as his pillager well understood was absolute again many others whose indignation will not submit to such plunder are forced to refuse the assistance though they are often great sufferers by so doing on the latter side the lowest of the people are encouraged in laziness and idleness while they live by a twentieth part of the labour that ought to maintain them which is diametrically opposite to the interest of the public for that requires a great deal to be done not to be paid for a little and moreover they are confirmed in habits of exaction and are taught to consider the distresses of their superiors as their own fair emolument but enough of that matter of which i at first intended only to convey a hint 
to those who are alone capable of applying the remedy though they are the last to whom the notice of those evils would occur without some such monitor as myself who am forced to travel about the world in the form of a passenger i cannot say but say i heartily wish our governors would attentively consider this method of fixing the price of labour and by that means of compelling the poor to work since the due execution of such powers will i apprehend be found the true and only means of making them useful and of advancing trade from its present visibly declining state to the height to which sir william petty in his political arithmetic thinks it capable of being carried End of part three.